0: Well, good morning. Hey, welcome. If I've never met you, my name is Jeffrey. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and I'm excited to share a word. Uh, I feel like the Lord laid on my heart for us this morning. If you're at our online campus, we're really glad you're there. I know this is spring break, and so we got a lot of people traveling. So we're honored that you would be a part of our family. We're excited for what uh, God is going to do this morning. Uh, I will just give a caveat. There's a decent chance that in the middle of this, I'm gonna have to take like a four second timeout and take a drink of water. I don't know if it was allergies this morning or screaming all of first service, but I almost completely lost my voice first service. So we'll see how this goes, where it's an adventure. Um, I wanna start off this morning just with a confession. This is church, I feel like confession is good. I am like incredibly easily distracted. That sentence even even makes sense. Like I'm very easily distracted in my world. I don't know, how many of you have seen the movie Up? Seen the movie, if you haven't, don't. All right, it's soul crushingly sad and it's a children's movie so just, you don't need it in your life. But there's a dog in up that uh, every time he sees a squirrel, he like freaks out and loses all of his like ability to do anything, and that is like generally my world. And I probably am ADD and never got tested for it because my parents just, I guess, didn't think I was necessary. but uh, and I was going to tell you, this is a story, so this story still makes me uncomfortable. Lots of these like I've moved past and I feel fine about. The story I'm about to tell you is a story that I think about every single week and I feel nauseous when I remember this moment. So I was driving, this was like a couple of years ago. I was driving over by the Buffalo, by the Buffalo Gap Starbucks and uh, as I was pulling up, I was gonna be the first car, the light goes red, and I feel my phone vibrate, like I had gotten a text message or something. So of course, that means like something horrible happened and I need to look at my phone as fast as possible, right? So I did, uh, as soon as I stopped, like I pulled my phone out and uh, you know, it was like Twitter, like nothing big, who cared, but my phone was out then, right? So like, I mean, what else can I do? Like something's gone on in the world in the last four seconds, I gotta look. And so I pulled out my phone and, and I'm like scrolling through Twitter. And, uh, and as that's happening, uh, I see the car beside me start to go. And I'm like, oh, it's time to go. But I didn't like look up for my phone, like I was still looking down at my phone and then I started to go. Uh, and then I saw that I was about to get in a really violent accident because the light was still red. I'm very confused. I'm like, what's up with this idiot beside me? Why is he going? And I, he confused me. And I looked over at him and this guy, so it's a guy and two girls in this truck, and they are all staring at me. And then I make eye contact with them and they lose their minds in laughter. I mean, they were crying in their car. Like what happened just now? And then I'm processing in this moment as my car is halfway into the intersection that uh, I had like the guy in the car and the two girls, he had, he had told them like, hey y'all, look at, look at this idiot beside us. I'm gonna let my foot off the brake and he's gonna think it's time to go. And all of that happened, that is exactly what went on. And then I looked at him and he looked at me and he's laughing and I feel such utter shame in the moment. Like, I feel, I feel uncomfortable right now thinking about it. Like, I was so easily distracted that I almost, like, put me in danger, other cars in danger. I mean, it's easy for me to get distracted. Is, I, my family grew up in Lubbock. I grew up in Lubbock, and then we moved here when I was in high school. And all, most of my extended family all still lives in Lubbock. So we've driven from Abilene to Lubbock and back and forth. I can't even fathom how many times. And it's the easiest drive any human has ever made, Okay. It's like my eight-year-old doesn't drive that often anymore, and she could make this drive perfectly fine. It's one turn. You get on the highway, and you go until you see a giant sign that says Lubbock. Then you do go that way, and then you're in Lubbock. I've ended up in Big Spring. (laughs) Just hanging out in Big Spring. It's a fine town, I guess. But if you're directionally challenged, it's not Lubbock. And I guess I was listening to an audiobook or something and just, just spaced out to the world. I was given an Apple Watch a few years ago for um, my birthday, and I had to give it away because it was like Pavlov's dog. Every time it vibrated, like I must look at it in this current instant. And it, it could have been the President of the United States in front of me, and I would have been like, hold on, sir, I've got to check this thing on my watch. I mean, it was, it's insane how easily distracted I am. And here's the truth. I am not the only one. Like, distraction is an incredibly common thing in our worlds. And it's actually a problem. It's a a much bigger problem in our lives than we might realize. So distracted driving is a really common thing. Obviously, I just told you a story about me driving distracted. But, like, it is a really common thing. A million accidents every single year are caused by distracted driving. A million Think about this. We are driving two, three, four thousand pound hunks of steel down the interstate, but we got to look at that Instagram post because it might go away and it doesn't. So easily to drive distracted. It's so easy to drive distracted. And then like of the million accidents that are caused every year, about a quarter million of them actually injure people. And 3,000 people die every single year because we can't stop being distracted as we drive. Politics has been an easy distraction over the last few years, right? Like if you're ever in a public setting, I love to do, this is another confession, I don't know why this Sunday is confession time, I, lo- I love to like throw out controversial topics in big groups of people and then leave. It's so fun, I mean, I, it's a blast, just trust me, just don't stay, so like... I, I, if if you're in a group of people and you say like the word vaccine or mask, which those words have been around for a long time. Did you know that? But you say it and you watch how immediately you could have been talking about anything at all. Now you're talking about that. The news is a, is a constant distraction for us. Social media, that's just a super fun distraction all the time. There was a study done pretty recently uh, on people, individuals in the workplace. And what they found is that an individual in an office job is distracted 56 times in their eight-hour day. And they spend two hours of their day trying to get focused back on the tasks they were doing. That means 25% of their day was spent trying to pay attention to what they had previously just been paying attention to. We're easily distracted. But you didn't even need all those examples. I could give you one example, and it would prove to all of us how easily distracted we are. Laundry. Right? Right? A couple of weeks ago, I was, doing, I was folding our laundry, and uh, I got into our master bedroom to fold it, and the pile of laundry on my bed was human-sized. It was as tall as me. Now, I'm not very tall, so that's not very significant, but it was still a lot of laundry. And I realized what we had done, is we'd started the laundry, we'd like put it in the washer, and then taken it out, and then put it in the dryer, and then taken it out, and then put it on the couch. And we did that for three weeks. I'm actually convinced that binge watching became a thing solely because of laundry. Because what we do is we get the laundry all out and we're like, all right, I'm gonna accomplish something today, I'm gonna fold it, and we start a television show and then we look up hours later and no laundry is folded but three seasons have been watched. (laughs) Like, distraction is a really, really common problem. And here's the hard part, we're often distracted by things that aren't actually that bad, they just don't matter that much. And we blame this this thing in our worlds on everything, right? It's just we're really busy, so it's easy for me to get distracted. Or maybe I'm a little ADD, so that's just a common thing for that. Or, Or technology is the problem. We love to blame anyone and everything for how easy it is for us to get distracted. But here's the truth is it's actually having a pretty profound effect on our lives. Like it feels insignificant. It doesn't feel like it's that big of a deal. But if you think about it, when you are distracted your mind and activity is being taken from something that was important enough for you to start it, and then you begin doing something that's less important. No one has ever ended their day and gone, I accomplished so much today because I could never focus on one task. Right? That's not a thing that anyone has said ever. Mark Batterson says it like this, he says the average person spends 50% of their time thinking about something other than what they're doing, which means we are half present, Half the time, we're half alive. I mean, that is a harsh quote. And yet, it's true. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we've seen that in our own life. And this sermon is like, this is one that is like preaching to the choir. It's fun to get up here and and tell dumb stories about me, you know, getting made fun of by probably high school kids in the truck next to me. Like, that's fun. It's funny to laugh at me ending up in Big Spring. It's less funny to think about like the real impact that being this kind of distracted has had on my life. Like the times that I really dropped the ball at home, that I was supposed to accomplish something and I didn't because something shiny caught my eye. Or the times at work that, that something didn't get done that needed to get done because I just couldn't focus on the task at hand. I mean, this is an area that I think if we're honest, we wrestle with it a lot. And here's the hard part is we get into church and in some topics you're like, yeah, this is a really important topic for us to wrestle through and dive into. And then we're like, distraction, not that big a deal. Here's the truth. I actually think that distraction is one of the key tactics that the enemy uses to keep us from living the life he has for us. So us getting so easily distracted and focusing on something other than what we're supposed to be is one of the primary ways that the enemy is stealing the life that God has for you from you. And here's the truth, we have an enemy. And it's not like the, the, the pitchfork with the red suit, cute, Halloween-y devil guy. No, I mean, we have an enemy and he's not an idiot. First Peter describes him like this. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You have an enemy, and his goal is to take the life God has from you, or for you, from you. His goal is to make sure that what God has for you, you do not get. And he doesn't do it by like hiding around the door, and like you come into a room, and he's like, hey, gotcha. That's what we expect. We expect his schemes to be big and obvious. And listen, they're not. And the ways that he's crumbling the church and us as individuals right now is he's doing it in little things that we're not being sober-minded and watchful about. And he's prowling after us, coming for us, stealing the life God has for us, from us. It doesn't have to be that way. And he's using distraction. I mean, what, a, what, a, what a brilliant tactic. What a brilliant strategy to just misdirect us from the calling and life God has from us and just push us into areas of distraction. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we are often living lives dictated by distractions. Not by the calling God has for us, not by the plans that he wants to do in us, but our lives are often dictated by the shiny things that distract us. And it does not have to stay that way. But if it does, we won't ever live the full life that God has for us. And listen, I get it. I know we have got a lot going on. There are a lot of activities. There's a lot of stuff for your kids to do. There's a lot of stuff that jobs are pulling at you. There's a lot of stuff that the friends want from you. I get that we're busy. And we got a lot pulling at us. Last week, we were introduced to a guy named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah had a lot pulling at him he had a lot going on, a lot of things that were temptations for distractions for him. So what I want us to do today is we're going to dive back into his story. And we're going to see kind of the strategy he gives us to see the distractions that are coming our way. And then also fight against them. So if you will find a Bible, turn over to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah 6, we're going to be in verse 1. If you missed last week, let me give you like the power cliff notes version of the story of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah is like a regular, ordinary fellow, like nothing extraordinary about him. And he is the cupbearer to the king. So basically he's the king's poison tester. So he's the guy whose life was so expendable that he tasted the king's food, and if it was bad, he was dead and the king was not. Ordinary guy. And at this point in time where Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king, there is a remnant of God's people in Jerusalem. And they send word to Nehemiah, and they're like, Nehemiah, things are bad right we have the all the walls are gone from the city the gates have been burned down we're surrounded by enemies and we are desperate for help and they send word to Nehemiah and then Nehemiah the scripture says his heart is broken for his people and he does something crazy he's a servant of the king and yet he goes to the king and just asks to be released can i just go rebuild the wall and because Nehemiah had such immense favor, the king says, Not only can you go, I'm actually going to give you the resources you need and give you authority as the governor of Judah so that when you go back and do this, that is the place that you go into a place of authority with all that you need. And so Nehemiah goes. And he gets this place in in Nehemiah 6 that he's kind of got everything almost done. He's like 90% done with the project, 95%. The walls are up. The gates just aren't all the way put together. He has these enemies that begin to come for him to distract him from finishing the work. So Nehemiah 6, verse 1 says this, Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates... Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us meet together at Heciferim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm and I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I am doing a great work. This is important. Not just doing work. Not just making it by, not even good work. Nehemiah says, I am doing great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way and I answered them in the same way. Manner. The first distraction for Nehemiah was a great opportunity. I mean, here, here he is. He's, he's the governor of Judah. He's almost all the way done rebuilding the wall. And he's got these guys, his enemies, that are like, hey, come come and meet with us. I mean, in Nehemiah's mind, he's got to be like, I can be the guy who rebuilt the wall and then negotiated the peace between our people and our enemies. Like they want to meet with me and now I can like make sure that this is all going to be okay. What a phenomenal opportunity for me. What a chance for me to make this significant impact. What a great opportunity. And Nehemiah is just like, no. I got great work that I'm doing. So no. And then they did it again. No. They did it again. No. What a great opportunity. No. And for you and I, we can often think about opportunities, or what we can often think about as opportunities are just distractions. An opportunity comes to you from work. It's like a promotion, bigger salary, company car, corner office. What an opportunity. Your kid gets that phone call It's like, hey, we want them to be on this select travel team from Dallas. We'd love for him to be a part of it. I know they're already a part of a couple more, but like, this is a great opportunity for her to really get ready as she gets going into high school or middle school in some cases. What an opportunity. I think one of the greatest lies that we've believed as people is that there are opportunities that are too good to pass up. What a brilliant lie. If I can't say no, because the opportunity is just too good. And distractions disguised as opportunities lead us to doing many good things, but missing out on the great work that Nehemiah talked about. There is no opportunity that is too good to pass up. Even Nehemiah in this moment, knowing he could make a big impact, but that was not the great work that God called him to. That might've been fine work, even good work. That was not the great work that God had for him. Story goes on. Nehemiah's enemies get more crafty. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you've also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there's a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports, so now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, no such things as you say have been done for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from their work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Second distraction Nehemiah faced is what people said about him. Rumors that were told about him. See, Sanballat, he sends this, uh, it's an open letter. In our modern parlance, it would be like somebody posted about him on Facebook and tagged him in it. Like it's, it's not this private thing between him and Nehemiah for Nehemiah to see and him going, hey, Nehemiah, I heard this rumor that you're trying to start a coup, that you're trying to overthrow, like you are wanting to be placed as the king. And that's what everyone's saying. And so, hey, is that true? Because if not, you need to work on that. That's not what's happening. He sends an open letter so that everyone is going to hear this lie that was being said about Nehemiah so that Nehemiah would then be afraid of what people say about him, and then he would step back and not continue to do the great work that God called him to do because he was worried about what people were going to be saying about him. And it can be so easy for us as people to get distracted from the great work because we're so worried about what people might think about us or what people might say about us. My oldest daughter is 10. So for about a year, we've been having the, dad, when can I get a cell phone conversation? When she's nine, I'm like, who do you want to call? So I tell her, she says, when can I have a cell phone? And I tell her, Berkeley, you can have a cell phone whenever I need you to have a cell phone. I don't care what you want. But you know what's going to happen? She gets older. and I mean, she's going to get a cell phone at some point. But until then, she can tell her friends, like, no, my parents won't let me get a cell phone yet. And a friend's going to be like, your parents won't let you get a cell phone? Why are they being so mean? And and then their kids, like, they're going to go home and tell their parents, and their parents are going to talk about Sarah and I, and they're going to go, they're so protective, like, they're sheltering their kids. Like, what is their problem? And listen, if your kid's 10 and has a cell phone, I don't care. That's not in the Bible. It's not. Be convenient if it was, but it's not. You parent each kid different. You parent yours, I'll parent mine. But I feel like we're not supposed to for Berkeley. But people are gonna talk about us. And if you're gonna live a life going after the great works, going after the life God has for you, the calling God has on your life, if you're going to live that life, you wanna know something, people are going to talk about you. It's unavoidable. If you pass up on that opportunity at work to get the promotion, people are gonna talk about you. What kind of person would not take a promotion If you tell your kids no, that they can't be on the travel team, people are going to talk about you. Why are they just holding their kid back? As soon as you pass up the opportunity that is too good to pass up, people will talk about you when you're living a life that looks different than the world says it should look, and you're going after the great work that God calls you to. People are going to talk about you. And what people say about us can often distract us from the work and calling in front of us. I heard Craig Groeschel say it like this. Don't worry about what people say about you. Worry about what is true about you. We love to amen this. We struggle to believe this. We struggle to walk it out. It's hard to not worry about what people say about us and and only think what's true about us. That's difficult. I, uh, I have watched a group of men in our church, our elders, walk this out beautifully over the last 20 years. So I... Grew up at Beltway, I came here as a high school student. Uh, I was in our high school ministry and then I was in our college ministry and then the young adult ministry, men's ministry. I've been, a, I've been around like 20 years in our church as a part of our church. And over the last 20 years, we've had some like really highs and some really dark seasons. We've had some hard things that we've had to go through. These last two years, two and a half years have been a trip. They have been something I never wanna go on again. And it was this season that I watched our elders have to wrestle through decisions, knowing that there was no right answer for them. When we initially shut down in March of 2020, is that right? That sounds like an eternity ago. When we initially shut down, you cannot even imagine the things that were said about those men. And I'm not an elder, like all, just to be honest, I am not an elder at any level, that is not my role in our church. So I'm not patting myself on the back. And then when we came back and we kind of had like social distancing measures and you would have like some space in between seats or we might ask people to mask or whatever. No matter what we did in that whole season, it was wrong. Asked people to mask, people were mad. Told people that they didn't have to mask, people were mad. Did social distance, people were mad. Scooted people close back together, people were mad. It was nonstop people being mad and going after these men. Emails were sent. Things were posted on social media. Why don't you love people? Why are you listening to all the conspiracies? Why are you living in fear? And for two years, and the 18 years before that, I watched the elders do the same thing they do every time. Trust that what is true about them is what matters and not what people are saying about them. Did we do everything right over the last two years? Who knows? No one knew. It's the first time we ever walked through a global pandemic. But I can tell you this, they never felt the need to defend themselves. Just like if you look back on that story with Nehemiah, he doesn't ever feel like he's got to go defend himself. He knows what's true about him. And what matters is what's true about him, not what people are saying about him. And it's so easy for us, if we're going to live the life that God calls us to, to be distracted because we're worried about what people might think about us when we do things different. And people will always do, say things about you when you're doing things different. Nehemiah's enemies finished with this. Now when I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehedabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. But but I said, should such a man as I run away, and what man such as I could go into the temple and live, I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. The last way Nehemiah's enemies tried to distract him is with security and safety. Nehemiah, dude, they're coming for you. They're going to kill you tonight. You've got to go hide. Let's go to the temple and you can hide in the temple and you'll be safe there. And Nehemiah knew that first of all, that was a sin and he was never going to do that. Only the high priest got to go in that place and he was not about to go into there. But he also knew, what does it say to everyone if I, their leader, run and hide when things get hard? And listen, you could understand the logic you could understand the EMI going, no, I, I am leading them right now. Like I am pretty necessary. I need to make sure that I'm safe so that I can continue to lead. We actually got to watch this happen on a, on a global scale this last couple of weeks when everything began to happen in Ukraine and there Russia's coming in. I'm mean, a world superpower going to crush this little tiny Ukraine. And you've got their leader, President Zelensky. And when everything gets real bad in the beginning and no one knows how the next few hours are gonna go, the U.S. says, hey, we'll come in and get you out so that you can keep leading. And you know what? I just will be completely honest with you. It would have been so tempting to go, yes, take me out, let me go. Because I wanna lead my people, but I can't if I'm dead. And what President Zelensky said is one of my favorite quotes that's ever existed. He said, the battle is here. I need ammunition, not a ride. And that is wild to say, knowing that there is a decent chance that he was going to die because they were coming for him, but he was not going to let safety and security be the thing that stopped him from doing what he felt like he was supposed to do, just like Nehemiah knew that he was not going to let the security of his own life stop him from the life that God had for him and the role that he was supposed to play in his people. And we are so tempted to go into the safe places and the secure places and miss out on what God wants to do in us. We can get distracted by security and safe places when maybe, just maybe, God is calling you to take a risk. The life God calls us to is not gonna always be the life that makes the most sense. The life God has for us is sometimes gonna take us out of places that we feel really safe and secure, into places that we have to trust in him at a deeper level. We sang that song today. We introduced, it was the first time we sung it. We sang The Firm Foundations, talking about when everything gets bad, my trust has to be in him. And when I do that, then I can have joy and chaos, and I can have peace in times where there should be no Peace. And we can feel safe. It's when our safety and security is placed in our own hands and in our own abilities that we get distracted by it. But when we remember that it is our God who overcame the grave and it is our God who is the only one who can give us safety and security anyway, when we remember that, then we're not distracted by our own safety and security because we're resting in his. So Nehemiah pushes back against him and he's like, no, I'm not going in there. We finish this story in verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all of our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. They finished this wall in 52 days. If we remember back to last week, Jake talked about how, like, what Nehemiah said is, in Nehemiah 2 is that The report he got from Jerusalem is that the walls were gone, the gates had been burned, and they were terrified of their lives. Nehemiah gets on the ground. 52 days later, everything is rebuilt. And then everyone doesn't go, Nehemiah, Nehemiah, Nehemiah. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So because Nehemiah was able to just fight through what was trying to pull him away from the work God called him to, because he was able to persevere in the middle of that, he finished the goal, accomplished what God called him to do, and pointed people to the greatness of his God. And Nehemiah gives us this skill in Nehemiah 6 for how we can do what he did in the times that he was distracted. Here's what it is, okay? It's okay to say no. You're not sure, are you? Let's try it together, okay? I'm gonna count to three. We're all gonna say no. And I know this is church, we know like, I'm not sure. It's okay. Okay? It's okay. Just roll your shoulders back a little bit. All right. One, two, three, no. You weren't even sure about that. Let's try it again, ready? One, two, three, no. No has become a profanity. Like we're just so scared. Like I can't say no to my kids. Johnny's parents don't say no to him. How can I? I'm a bad parent if I say no. We can't say no at the job. Like that's the guy who writes my paycheck. I can't say no. I can't say no to my friends when they want. We just don't feel like we can say no. And no is one of the most freeing things that you can introduce into your life you're going to live a life where your lives are not dictated by what distracts us, you're going to have to get pretty good at saying no. Learning to say no is one of the most important skills and tools you're going to need to wield in your own life. Nehemiah does it three times. Does it in verse 3. Is an opportunity too good to pass up? And he says no. Verse 8. Hey, this is what they're saying about you. And if you don't stop, they're going to keep saying about you. And he says No. Verse 11, they're like, hey, you got to go be safe and secure, and he says no. He just shows us that no's okay. You know who else showed us that no is okay? Jesus. There's a guy that comes up to Jesus, and he's like, Jesus, I want to follow you, but let me go home and bury my father first. And Jesus is like, no. You're like, Jesus? He's like, he's already dead. That just... In Mark one, Jesus is in Capernaum, and they bring a whole—they bring all the sick people, is what the Bible says in Mark one. All of them were brought to Jesus, and Jesus heals many of them. That want to mess with your theology. He does not—it doesn't say he heals all of them that were brought to him. It says he heals many of them, and then goes to bed that night. The next morning, he wakes up and he's like, "All right, guys, we're out of here." And Simon Peter is like, "No, no, no, Jesus, there's still a lot of people that want to meet you." And Jesus is like, "No, we're leaving." Or there's the other time with Peter that, that Peter argues with Jesus about, uh, about Jesus, gonna, Jesus is going to die and, and Peter's like, no, that's not gonna happen. And Jesus not only says no, he calls him Satan. And Jesus showed us that, that no is an okay word for us to begin to introduce into our vocabulary. And it's because saying no to the less important things that might distract us frees us up to say yes to the calling that God has for us. And if we don't learn to say no, we'll never be able to have the space and capacity to say yes. First Corinthians 7 says this about you. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. I don't know many of you. I don't know stories, I don't know what's going on in your world, I can unequivocally tell you God has a calling on your life. Like, look at me. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, Scripture says it over and over again, you have a calling and something that God wants to do in you and something He wants to do through you, and He's got a life that He wants you to live. It's not just people that work at a church that have a calling on their life. Businessmen, you got a calling on your life, an important one. Working moms, you got a calling on your life and an important one. Moms of toddlers, you got a calling on your life and an important one and also the most difficult job on the planet. Teenagers, you have a calling on your life now and going forward. It's not just when you become an adult. Cuz it's so there's a lot of 40-year-old men that are still stuck. <laughs> you have a calling on your life. If we don't believe that, then we'll just say yes to whatever, because who cares? But if we get to the place that we believe God has something he wants to do in me, then I've got to position myself so that I can say yes to whatever that is. And that's going to require us to learn to say no. You have a calling. So I put the last note on your notes is this. Put your own name there. You write your name. So I would write, Jeffrey has a calling on their life. He has things he wants to do in you. Ways that he wants to use you. Fullness that he wants to give to your life that is only found in him. And if we don't get to the place that we can say no to all the things that are distracting us, we won't ever get to say yes to what he has. So here's what I want us to do. You can put all your stuff away. I'm going to give us a moment to respond to the Lord and hear from Jesus. You can bow your heads and close your eyes. Nothing magic happens. It just helps us focus. And I want you first to just ask the Lord, God, what are you calling me to now? season that I'm in, when I'm a student or as a child, somebody who works in an office, somebody who works out in the field, somebody who stays home, what are you calling me to now? And maybe you struggle to believe that God Almighty who breathed heaven and earth into existence knows you well enough and cares about you enough to give you a calling on your life it's okay to wrestle with that just don't stay there lay it at his feet and go God I want you to show me what you have for me my prayer this week has been that the Lord would begin to show you some things that maybe you need to say no to Maybe that opportunity that's too good to pass up. Maybe that lie that you've heard said about you. Maybe he's telling you to say yes to something that's going to make you feel like you're walking out of a place that feels more safe and secure and walking into what he has for you. Ask him, God, what are the yeses you want me to say yes to right now? Father, we thank you for all that you're doing. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us the boldness to say no to what we need to say no to and the grace to walk in the yes that you have for us. Would you show us things that are distractions in our life? And will we run after the life that you're calling us to? Would we not settle for good work when you've got great work for us? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.